Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Kenny Conversation, brought to you by Jegs, the leader in high-performance aftermarket car parts. Remember to go to jegs.com for everything and anything you need for your car, truck, whatever it is. This next guest is most likely my longest friend in NASCAR. The great. Now, don't hide, Rick Mass. I'm not hiding. I'm not hiding. I'm not hot. Hey, man, let me tell you something. Back in the day, I spent more money at that Jegs catalog. That Jegs catalog was like a, it was like a Christmas wish. Remember the, the Sears wish book we used to get at Christmas? Oh, yeah, we still well, get it. Well, the Jegs catalog was like that to me, for me. You know what I mean? I used to get stuff from those guys. Never could afford to buy stuff, but I'd scramble enough money together, and I'd buy me something that that UPS package would come. I'd be the happiest some bitch side of it. was just out of worry, <laughs> man, when that stuff would come. You're making me happy right now. Along those same lines, do you remember when we would run to the mailbox to read the Speed Sport uh, to get racing news? Did you have that? We had Speed Sport. We had here where I lived. It's called Tri-State, okay? Mm. And it was just like Speed Sport, but it was, it was regionalized from Virginia, uh, North Carolina, Maryland, Pennsylvania, in the Northeast, that deal. So I'd get Tri-State and Speed Sport. You know what I mean? It was it was the same deal, same deal. I can go back so far as remember my dad used to get what was that thing called Southern Motor Racing Journal or something? It was it is those guys. I forget the guy's name. If I said the name, you'd know it. It was a weekly publication that came out in the seventies, right? Just about cup racing, and we'd get that thing every week. It was it was like you know I don't know. You're like me, man. That stuff would come in the mail. The racing stuff you just light up. You know, we had the, the Grand National scene back when you and I ran the Bush Grand National Series. Then it became the Winston Cup scene. Right. And it was it was the only form of reading anything about racing, who did what. Uh, and, and now these babies have taken over. Uh, yeah. Can you imagine? Can I? Can you just imagine if we'd had that crap in the 90s for me? I, I would either have been a hero or fired I can't, or in jail. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where it would have ended up, but I couldn't resist it. I've uh, I've gotten myself in trouble, but I, I've learned to navigate it. Well, Rick, let, let's start like this. Uh, the reason that I called you uh, to be on Kenny Conversation is you are one of those people that is admired by everybody. Uh, you are loved. You've got a, a lot of fans. Um, I think it's just because you're genuine. Uh, my wife, Kim, we're sitting on the couch Rock and Hill. she says she... So, yeah, she goes, you got to get Rick Mass. Yeah, you you <laughs> called her Raquel Welch because I said it. Uh, but listen, I, I want to, you know, once again, I just want to let you know uh, the reason uh, that we called you. Uh, are you aware of how big your fan base is? No, no. Isn't that something? Yeah. Well, let's start like this, Racer Rick. Um, 66 years old right now. You look really good. And, uh, you know, if if I wanted to have a name uh, from where I was from, so in other words, Dick Trickle from Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you what, buddy. Yeah. You, you're leading the way. Rick Mass from Rockbridge <laughs> Baths, Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. That is so badass. <clears throat> tell me about that. Rockbridge Baths, Virginia. How many people are in this town and – you know, the whole, our whole county, Rockbridge, is only <clears> – <throat> when the colleges are in a session, I think we're like 32,000 for the whole county. You know, it's maybe 
a hundred in Rockbridge Bass, a couple of hundred in the mailing address. When the colleges aren't in town, which is VMI and WNL, then it goes down by about eight thousand. Okay, but you know where I where I Rockbridge Bass. It's named Rockbridge. Is we have a thing here, one of the natural wonders called Natural Bridge. Okay. Oh Everybody yeah, I raced there. Yeah, you raced there many times, and uh, so the the county's name came from that. And then where I live, Rockbridge Bass, right down below me, a mile below my house, is a. It was a resort. It's a. It's a, like a thirty by fifty pool, and and natural warm spring waters come up in this pool, right? Mm-hmm. And it was a resort in eighteen hundreds and early nineteen hundreds. Stonewall used to go out there all the time. Stonewall Jackson, Robert E. Lee had a place. In fact, he's got a little cabin still there on that, near that property. Ulysses S. Grant, all these people used to go and sit in these waters and get healed, right? Well, uh, and come to find out, and even when I was a little guy, moss would grow on this on this pool, right? And when I was little, little boy, if I got stung by a bee or poison ivy, my mom would run me down there and put the moss on me, right? Spread the moss on me. And it worked. It honestly got it worked. Uh, so Johnny Hayes, if you mm. know Johnny Hayes and Ann, Johnny, Johnny Hayes, he yeah. ran U.S. Tobacco Skull. He, he was the man. He was the man for good. I did a lot of broadcasting too with Ken okay. Squire and all. They were all buddies. But anyhow, Johnny was a big, big, big time Civil War buff. So when I started driving for Skull, he he and Ann, his wife, would come up here and stay with Sharon and I, and we would go out, you know, around the battlefields of Virginia looking. Well, this the Baz, I knew the family, and. uh the, the, the man is a famous artist and he died uh by Pierre Dore, right? Mm. And uh French name. Huh? Sounds like a French name. Yeah, he's, he was French. He was a Frenchman. He could hardly speak English, but he, yeah. <laughs> he's famous in that world, I guess. Well, anyhow, the place was for sale. And I had Johnny here one day. I took him down there just walking through the property and uh I told him they were selling it. And he's he got all hyped to can I buy it? I says, Well, I don't know. I'll call so I called the daughter. And she'd moved away at that time and told her, I'd like to buy this place. Mm. Is it for sale? I said, yeah, well, I've already given it to the Lynchburg College. They have a Dora Art Center over there. I've already given it to Lynchburg College. And uh, <clears throat> I said, well, I would love to have it. And she said, "You are you serious? I said, yeah. She says, let me think about this. She called me back and says, Rick, here's the deal. I'm, uh, if you want to buy it, I'm going to tell the college to get, uh, to get it assessed, get the thing fairly assessed. And they've got to sell it to you for that amount of money. So we did that. And I uh, went and signed the papers. Johnny wrote the check. I'm the one buying it because she knew me, but she didn't know Johnny. And I knew that she would fall in love with Johnny. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, we bought the thing and Johnny bought it. And I guess maybe two months after he bought it, he called me one day, said, Rick, we need to get this paperwork straight. I said, what paperwork? He said, on oh, the house down there, the bass. I said, what do you mean? He says, it's all in your name. And I wrote the check for it. I says, yeah, so what's the problem? <laughs> Let me tell you something, you son of a bitch. <laughs> anyhow, he, 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 he enjoyed that thing. And in fact, Ann still lives there a lot. You know, we lost John a few years ago, but yeah. that's the Rockbridge Baz. That's where the name, the Baz came from for Rockbridge. I'll be darned. Thank you. Uh, very Tom, a very Tom Sawyer existence as a child, you yeah. know, just strictly country. You know, you got a bucket of bolts and you're sitting there trying to make a go-kart out of it, that type of deal. And we're, we're going to get to that, too. Okay. We're going to get to that. Uh, I want, I need you to educate me. So I was in Natural Bridge and uh, I was doing a little TV to help promote the racetrack. And I accidentally said West Virginia in Virginia and, and, and they stopped the camera. 
And they said, Kenny, this is, this is Virginia. I said, Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, so I know we have the war, civil war, things of that nature. Teach me why there is still a little civil war going on. Maybe fun as it could be, but between West Virginia and Virginia, what's the deal? Yeah, I guess, I guess when you go to that state line, uh, the closer you get to the state line, we're right at the outskirts of it. But if you go over the mountain here, 30 miles to Covington and Clifton Fords, that's when it really becomes prominent. You know, they, the, honestly, the further you get over there, over here where we're at, it's kind of a joke, right? Yeah. It's a deal like the people felt the people of West Virginia were beneath them. Okay. Oh, and oh, the people, yeah. And the people of West Virginia felt like the people of Virginia were these pompous ass, arrogant people. Right. So that carried on for generations. And like around here, it's not a big deal. I made jokes about it. But the <laughs> you get to that state line, it becomes serious. You know? It's like an Auburn, Alabama, Auburn robber yeah. or Virginia Tech, UVA Auburn. I mean, it's real. Right. And, uh, you know, I've, I've always heard it and joked about it and heard people joking about it. But there's a million jokes out there both ways that go both ways. Right. When you talk about West Virginians or Virginians and uh, some people really carried a little bit more serious than it should be and what it really is actually I think. but years ago it was a big deal i mean it was a serious deal but not so much now i'll never forget that man <laughs> that camera right away it scared me like what did i do wrong we're the same way we're the same way now the blue ridge mountain goes through the center of virginia right and we're yeah, in the western yeah. part of virginia well we're the same way towards eastern virginians now i mean there's a there's in fact, I told Donald Trump when he was running for president, I met him one time, him and Pence, and I told him, I said, well, y'all going to win this election, and when you do, I'm going to come visit you, visit you in a couple of years, and we want to take up Blue Ridge Mountain, and we want to succeed from the west, west, rest of Virginia. We want to become West Virginia from everything west of the Blue Ridge Mountain. We want any, any part of that. So it's just funny how these territorial things work out, man. Yeah, Blue Ridge Mountain, That's Shenandoah it. River. Man, yeah. what a great song. You know, I went to Winchester, Virginia for the Apple Blossom Festival. I saw that. Really yeah. had a good time. Well, Rick, let's call an audible here right now. Okay. Uh, let's let's go to racing, and then I want to come back to the start of your career. Okay. Uh, so we are all known, whether we like it or not, we are all known for something we do that's big in life. Right. And there, you, there's so much to you, and I know that, and I respect you a lot. Uh, because I know how you got to where you got to, but and let's the immediately. The feeling's mutual, by the way. But go ahead. Thank you. Let's immediately go to Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the very first ever Brickyard 400. NASCAR decides that we, you, I, all of us, we're going to invade the Indianapolis Motor Speedway with these taxi cabs that we're driving, and we're going to go on the holy ground of IndyCar racing. And when we go there, the man that I'm looking at right now, you, Rick Mast, you are etched in history forever because you run the fastest lap in NASCAR history. You, you set quick time. You start first. You're on the pole for the very first ever NASCAR race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway at 171.726 miles per hour. You are in the history books forever. Just... Talk about that 
moment in time, and maybe we can go back and forth. Kenny, the thing about that, I, I, I equate that deal to the fight at 79 at Daytona on CBS. Oh, yeah. I, I equate it to Winston coming to the series. The reason I say that, when you're in the moment, you don't kind of realize what it is. After the fact, you look back and you understand it better. you got a clear understanding. But, you know, two years before it happened, we knew it was happening. And that's that's what everybody talked about for two years in the garage area. Indy, 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 Indy. It was the damnedest thing for two years. And then everybody goes up there for that tire test. And we have, what, 50,000 people show up for our friggin' tire test? We, <laughs> I remember going out. I remember going out to one of the, that steak restaurant. I forget the name of it. Uh, not too far from racetrack. Yeah, it, it, it got the real hot sauce for the shrimp. That's it. That's, <laughs> it. That's the one. That's the one. Charlie, you know, I'm, that. <laughs> I'm sitting there eating. I'm sitting there eating, and people come over and get my autograph. Right? No, you, it, that's when it first dawned on me. Maybe we're on to something because we're not in that market at all. I mean, the closest to that market is what Michigan, I guess, at that time. And I'm not a prolific winner, right? I'm not a Dale Earnhardt or a Rusty Wallace, but people come over and get my autograph. I'm like huh, I guess something to this thing, right? So then the hype and all the crap leading up to that race, we finally get, we go up there and test, and it's the same thing every time we practice. You know, you go up there and you get pounded with autographs everywhere you go. And anyhow, we finally show up for the race, and it's like the damnedest thing. I mean, you know, and we changed a lot of stuff. I mean, you know, I remember before we go went up there, we got coached on the yellow the yellow coats or the yellow jackets. Oh yeah, coats, right. The guards, uh, the yeah, they, guards. Beatty and Helton did that bunch. They coached us on the yellow guards. This is not a typical NASCAR deal with security guards. These are the yellow coats or the guards. They do things differently, and we will abide by their rules and the way they do it. And I'm like, damn, you know what I mean? You can't do this. You can't do that. You know, you're on and on and on. So. You know, even NASCAR was bowed down a little bit, right? You're like, all right, yeah. we got to do it their way to show up. Because there was some animosity going on. I remember the quotes from a lot of the IndyCar guys. You know what I mean? They did not want us up there. And uh, they made their they made their opinions known. And and that was cool. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it was friendly. And because, uh, as you well know, we all get along. Us and IndyCar guys, we've always gotten along great with one another. There's never been that type of thing. But they didn't want us in those hollowed grounds, right? And uh, so we had to fight that off a little bit. And then when we finally get up there for the race week, uh, I'm reading articles, Kenny. I'm reading articles and quotes from my, 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 my guys, my drivers. And I'm not recognizing the quotes. The, the quotes, I need to dig some of that stuff up. Maybe you can do it sometime. But some of the quotes were not quite like normal. They were like, I don't know. They were like, uh, how can I say this? Buttoned up, wine and cheese, or, you know, it, <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't the same. We, we say real good. I want to thank all the boys back at the shop. And yeah. they're like, yeah. button the bonnet up. Yes, it was that. It was <laughs> that. Put the hood down, put the window yeah. net up. <laughs> and it honestly, I, that morning of qualifying, I woke up and I was reading the paper and I was reading some of that crap. And it, it started irritating me a little bit. It honestly did. I'm like, what are you doing, man? This ain't us, right? So <laughs> part of the one of the, the one of the stories about sitting on the pole, when I sat on the pole and we're in the in the in the uh, press room, well, there's press in the same Kenny. I'd never seen you. I knew you like you. I knew all the press guy. I knew all the beat writers who followed us every week. I knew I go in this press room and I'd see those guys and I see like 70% of people there I'd never seen before, right? I mean, this place was packed with press people. I mean, it's the damnedest thing from all over the world, you know? And I'm up there and I'm doing my thing. And finally, 
Steve Wade and that freaking Tom Higgins, bless his heart. Yeah. Somebody in the back hollers, tell us about the cow. <laughs> Don't ruin my story because I'm going to ask you about the cow later on. <laughs> and and uh, I heard them and I knew who it was. And they said it again. Tell us about the cow. And I got so freaking tired of talking about that stupid cow, right? We're going to the cow story a little bit, but anyhow, I brought the cow up and you know, I was just telling them about the cow and somebody said, well, what was this cow's name? I said, well, it didn't have a name after midnight. Then it become baby. So, so, so anyhow, that was a, that was a. Well, was a, so, okay. Let, let's get in the race car. Let's, let's be, be race car drivers here for a minute. So you and I know, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway is intimidating because we go down the front straightaway. It is a hallway. We got grandstands on the right, grandstands on the left. Right. You're cheating death entering turn one. When right. do I turn off into the corner? Do I chop the corner? Do I can I arc it? Will I get loose? Exactly. Down the short shoot, you know, barely let off the gas. So <clears throat> tell me in your mind, get in your race car for me. And they're, they're tapping on the hood, fired up. Tell me about that moment, that lap. Going going out of the track, going down the back straightaway, getting up to speed, coming down the front straightaway, you're wide open, right? And you're going whatever the speed is, 190 or whatever we were going then. And what I tell people about that track, you get down in the straightaway and you're going that tremendous amount of speed. At that time, when we're going anything that fast, we're looking at a, ahead of us at a big sweeping bank racetrack, right? You see the turn, it's banked. You're going to go in there wide open hard and you're going to get in the bank and everything's going to settle down. You go down to the end of the front straightaway at Indy, all you see is a frigging wall in front of you, right? Going this way, going this way. And you're like, this can't work. This no. can't work, you know? And that that's that's the thing that I felt and I talked to other guys, about everybody I talked to had the exact same feeling. How's this going to work? You're going 190 miles an hour, and all of a sudden you got to make a sharp 90 degree turn, and it's flat, and you don't have banking to 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 to, to catch the car, right? Yeah, but it's yeah. such a long sweeping turn that it works. But you, you you know your your foot's telling you to keep it wide open. Your brain say, "Man, don't do this, you stupid ass. It's not going to work." And you have you had to get over that quickly. You know, you just, Who, you just did anybody help you get over that? Or no. No, we were all on our own trying to do our own thing, man. Everybody wanted to be heroes at that racetrack. You, right. there was at that first year, there was no going back and forwards and helping folks. Now, as, as years went on, then we all did that, like you do at every racetrack. But it, in that first year, no, it was it was none of that. You just had to try to had to figure. And the neat part about it, what I loved about that thing when we first got there, you remember they had the timing things in the, embedded in the racetrack, so you'd go out and make a lap, and you would come in. And you would go over to the little building where they had the score sheet, timing sheets. You'd pull out the sheet and you would look at your car and like enter and turn one until the, the apex and from the apex to exit and turn one and through the short shoot. And it had that same deal in all four turns. Break the track down. You break the track down and you could look at your speed in that one section and you could see every other, every other swing dick out there, the cars, exactly what they were doing in that same spot. So you could see where you were losing speed, gaining speed. But to me, it was like tiptoeing. You would turn one. You, once you get through the the fear or whatever you want to call it of <laughs> making the course. This work. This oh. work. This. You're about to be at Bristol. First time I went to Bristol, 
Yeah. Uh, Kenny, I'd never been on a high back racetrack, never been out of where I was. Was and I remember on the the day before I was there watching some other cars running. I'm on the outside of the track watching these guys going to turn, and I'm like, how in the world is that working? So when I first get out there in my race car, I I run about 50 warm up laps on the apron, thinking, and I look at the guys going around me up there. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I remember coming out of tra- getting on the track in three and four and going wide open, going in one. I mean, all I remember is you got the guys are going there, letting out the gas and turning the wheel, right? So that's what I did. I just went in the turn hard and let out the gas and turned the wheel. Next thing I know, I'm going down the back straightaway, right? And I'm like, ah, huh, okay, that worked, right? It's kind of the same feeling I had at any the first time I got through turn one without killing myself. I, I agree. Okay, so let's go back to that one moment in time. Uh, okay. Dale Earnhardt Sr., number three, the man in black, he he is quick time. Yes. Then, then you fire your car up. You make your lap. You're faster than him. You're on pole. You're the man. When you came down pit road, could you hear the fans? Could you yeah. see the fans? Yeah. Tell me about that moment rolling it down. It was a damnest thing. It was like it was like when you're like at Rocket Have a few times where I would leave. You could see the fans doing all that stuff. But <laughs> but, at, but at Indy, you know, you come. I mean, when you qualify, you come down pit road. If you've done real well, set on the pole, you'll see a crew guy going like that or something. Hell, I came down pit road. It's like, what in the world is going on with these people? Oh, nuts. Yeah, nuts. And I really, at that moment, didn't know it was about me at the time, right? Yeah. But it was about, you know, because that announcer, you know, he was great, man. He was like the Queen Squire, that guy, forget his name, uh, at Indy. The way and he he's on it. He's on it. He's on it. He's on it. A new <laughs> track record. It's a new <laughs> track record. Record, yeah, yeah, but anyhow, that was cool. And we come on in, and of course, you had to cut the car off and push it in, you couldn't drive it in, right? Yeah, you, know they yeah. yeah you, had to, you had to push it and do all that. And then, then it was just set there the rest of the friggin' day in, in, in pure torture, yeah. watching 80, 83 cars qualify or 84 or whatever it was, you know. And uh, really, when it when I came in and did that, I'm like, you know, and maybe it's get me in the top 10, you know what I'm saying? Really, because, yeah, I did because. But the thing of it is, we've been quick. We've been we we're quick in, in practice. We were quick, quick up our testing. We were kicking practice. We were like second or third quickest the last happy hour practice or whatever before qualifying. And it had rained that morning. And I'm like, you know, and that track is very sensitive. None of us really know what the track does. So I go to AJ. AJ, he was sponsored by US Tobacco. AJ Foyt, the greatest yeah. race car driver in the exactly. world. In the world, no and doubt. And you will talk to him. Yes, because I knew AJ because he was sponsored by U.S. Tobacco also with the Copenhagen brand. And we had spent the first three years together with Skull. Skull would take me and AJ, Harry Gant, and Snake Perdome, right? We were the four drivers that they sponsored. And they would take us places. You know, they had a mansion in Watch Hill. They had a mansion in West Palm Beach. We went to Dominican Republic, Casa de Kempo. We were fishing trips out west. So I, I knew these guys. and I knew AJ well. So anyhow, when, when that happened that morning, when it rained, I went to AJ. I said, AJ, here's what my car was. It was neutral, man. It was tiptoeing neutral. Perfect. This rain, what's it going to do? What's this rain going to do? And he told me, and I don't even remember what he said, but he told me how the car, the track was going to be. Here, here's what the track's going to be from what it was, right? So we made, I remember it's two rounds of wedge adjustment we made based off of AJ's comments, right? And when I went and qualified, I mean, the thing was tiptoeing just perfect. You know, it was just, it was balanced perfect. I'm like, and those two rounds of wedge, I know probably set me on the pole. You know, uh, it probably did. And, and I don't remember which way it was. I don't remember if it's tight or loose or whatever, but I just remember that happening. 
Yeah. Wow. What a story. And, and Indianapolis Motor Speedway is almost religious like to them. It's, 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 oh, there's a racetrack, oh, but it's oh, like, oh, go ahead oh, and comment on that. Oh, man. It's, it's like an aura. You go through the gasoline alley, the headboard or where that thing is, you go under. You're like, you know, you, the whole time you're up there. Cause you listen, man, you're listening to this shit for two years. <laughs> you're listening to this. And, and, and then you have NASCAR telling you to bow down to the yellow people. I mean, the yellow coat people, right? Yellow gate guards. Yellow gate guards. And, and you're like, you know, and when you get there, then you've got all the, the great IndyCar drivers, you know, making their opinions known about the, these hallowed grounds and stock cars don't belong there. And so you listen to this stuff for two years. And when you finally get there and the place is so massive, it's just massively big. Yeah. And the way it's set up is real pristine, big, shiny, concrete everywhere. You know, the garage areas, the pit areas, and everything's done differently. And the gasoline alley sign and all the stories you read and everything you hear, you finally get the race car to go out on the track and you're almost getting chills on this thing. You're like, you know, I don't, I, should I, don't I be on here? And you had to put that, you had to put that crap out of your mind. You had to, you had to make sure you, you understood yourself. I belong here. You know what I mean? We belong and I belong here. You had right. to, you had to put that mindset out there. If you didn't, it was going to whip you because Indy's a tough Indy. That track will whip you. You know that that track will whip you trying to make a fast lap. You know, it's just hard. It's very, very hard to do that there. Yeah, there, there's a, um, come to find out, there's literally a creek that rolls underneath the front straightaway. I watched Kyle Petty do a special on it, and and you talked about it. You're not allowed, we are not allowed to have our motors running in the garage. We cannot drive our cars through the right. garage area. Why right. do you think that is? I don't know. It was, it, was, it was a precedent that they did. That's what they did with the Indy cars. So if that's what they do with Indy cars, that's the way we're going to do it with the stock cars. In my mind, that's you know everything the way they did it with Indy cars for you know a century. That's what we were going to do. It was just going to be a stock car instead of an Indy car. But we're going to keep everything the same. Y'all not coming in here with y'all's ways. Your NASCAR screwed up backwards Southern ways of doing things. We're not going to do it like that. We're going to do it like we do it. We're just replacing the tar a car for a car, and that's anyway. That's kind. Of, I tell you, it was a. And the driver's meeting on, on the race day in the driver's meeting, I was sitting beside Dale. Bill France was giving a speech, right? Dale Earnhardt Sr. Yeah, Dale Earnhardt Sr. And I'm sitting beside Dale. And he was talking about the privilege of being there and the task ahead of us and on and on and on and on and on. You know, you're sitting there like, man. And he finally, he says, now when we start this race, gentlemen, he said, well, we go down that, take the green flag and we go down that first turn do not embarrass me or this sport. And he looked straight at me and Earnhardt. Because <laughs> you're on the front row. <laughs> he was saying that because we were on the front row. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were, we were riding around the driver introduction, me and Dale in the back of the convertible. And we go down. And honestly, this is the only time I've ever seen that. Well, I shouldn't say that. The intimidator was truly humble, Kenny. Oh, yeah. He looked, he looked at me. We were going down the front stretch and the, Hordes of people on both sides of us, right? 350,000. I never seen that many people. Dale looks at me and he says, Rick, I said, Yeah, can you believe all these damn people came here to see us? Right? In that moment, Dale Earnhardt was humbled. Mm. Really humbled. And then right after that, he looked at me and said, You know, I'm going to lead that first lap, Rick. I said, Bring it on, big boy. 
<laughs> you, you led the first beginning last. Yeah, tell, yeah, yeah, tell, yeah. Tell me yeah. about going down. Okay, you got Dale Senior on your outside. You're right. going into turn one. Four hundred thousand people in the right. grandstands. That's that's not an exaggeration. That's no, real. Tell me about your mindset getting on the gas and beating, outrunning Senior into turn one to lead at least the first two two laps. Well, I do. I knew the whole time setting up for the first lap, if, if we could come off of two with him, uh, me at least my momentum or dead, even with a fender or so in front of him, I knew if I could do that, then turn two, I could beat him. Right. And, and I kind of thought maybe what he would do. So go down and turn one and he just does this. He does one of these numbers, right. You know, laying on you, get you laying on me. And I got a real good bite with the car and jumped back in the gas quick and kind of beat him off of that. And then we're kind of like this, entering turn two, going in. And by the time I got off of two, I had cleared him. And actually, he ran the thing. He was His car turned on him a little bit, got tight. And he ran that thing wide open, run right into the wall. You know what I mean? He, at the start? At the start. He he hit turn two wall, coming off the turn two. Because he was balling. Yeah, I mean, that's how much, you know, he wanted to lead. He wanted to lead that first lap. And everybody did. Hell, they were fighting every time we go up there, dude. They were fighting your brother was right in the middle of it that one time with, with Dale to be the first car out on the racetrack in that tire test. They got in the dirt almost a pissing fight trying to get the first car out. Every time he did something at that race, you had to be the first. First to get out on the track. First to be out there for the practice. First to be out there for happy hour. First to qualify. I mean, it was just, it was the dirtiest thing you ever seen. You had to, I guess you had to be in that environment in that moment to, to really understand. No, I'm, I'm, living, I'm living it with you right now. It was ridiculous. So, Changing uh, our ways just a little bit right now. So at that time, you know, some 20 years ago, it was the biggest thing in life. NASCAR's going to Indy. Right. And now it's ruined. Uh, you know, the, the racetrack was, was not good enough. So they said, let's run on a road course through the middle of it. Right. And, and, and now next year in 2024, we're going to go back on these hollowed grounds does it surprise you how much life has changed that once what we thought was the most unbelievable thing in the world, now now it's now it's boring. We don't even want to watch NASCAR on the big track. Yeah, I, I don't get it. I, I, I mean, I do and I don't get it. I mean, I, we can sit here and banner back and forth for two hours about how we got to the state we got to, right? But the thing, the thing about the deal with Indy, the test was, all right, we're not getting, we're not drawing big crowds. Let's do a road course. Yeah. Well, hell, they didn't draw crowds either, right? Yeah. They didn't draw any more with the road course than 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 that. So, well, let's at least you now let's put it back to tradition, tradition. Yeah. You know, put it back the way it was. I mean, as you know, it's a lot of it's about TV numbers now more than the grandstand numbers. I mean, we know that. Right. Uh, TV's driving our sport. That's that's an accepted fact. And uh, it was sad to me to see that thing go to the road course. It was sad. I understood it and I got it and I went along with it. But at the same time, it was sad to me because I know what we were. I know what it was. I know what, I know what 400,000 people showing up at that track that day felt. I know what we as competitors felt, you know, it was, it was uh, not, not outworldly or something. It's hard to put a word to what, that event magical magical it's magical it was it was totally magical and it just fell in line with so many things that added to the progression of our sport into a mainstream sport you know that was that was one of them 
I mean, you go, you 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 take our series again. We our closest venue then was was Michigan, right? Yeah. To that to that that market in that area. We show up there, and four hundred thousand friggin' people come there, watches us. That's never seen us before, right? And I guarantee you, most of those people have been to Eldora, right? You know, in in, in the King's World deal and all that stuff that goes on out there, and uh, Peevely, right? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I'm honestly, a Midwest boy. Yeah, I mean, in in it, it just you know, it, it's kind of like the first year I did my fan club, right? Yeah. First year I did my fan club. Who do you think the number one state was? Like the first year I did my fan club, we had members joining. The number one state my first year. You never believe. It, uh, New Hampshire. Iowa. Iowa. I'm Iowa. I had more There's a lot of dirt tracks in Iowa. I had more members for my fan club from Iowa than anywhere. Second was Pennsylvania. Third was Virginia. By my third year, my fan club, Virginia, become first. But Iowa was the first year, right? And yeah. and and uh, I'm thinking, damn, you know, this thing, you realize the sport's bigger than running up down the East Coast, Kenny, like yeah. you used to do from South Boston to, to, to Oxford Bay to Birmingham. You know what I mean? You realize well, it's bigger. You and I started kind of, I mean, you were down south. Obviously, you lived there. But I came down to, to join you, and and you and I started in the Bush series. And, right. it, you know, even though it was, it was the second largest form of, of racing in America, the Cup Series, then Bush Series, and maybe IndyCar, but the Bush Series, which is now the Xfinity Series, we made a living running, you know, three hours around home. You know, Myrtle Beach, South Boston, Orange right. County, Hickory. Right. Those were our tracks. That's right. And we were on national TV every week, and all we did was leave home that morning, <laughs> and we were back home that night. That's right. That's right. Okay. That's all right. right. Let's let's have some fun now. Thank you so much for your perspective on Indy, because that is you, and I think it's just badass, and you are Mr. Indy. So I want you to comment on this. Um, you are from Rockbridge, Bass, Virginia, but you have a business administration degree from Blue Ridge Community College. You're, you're a smart man. Very uh, smart. One of the smartest people I know. <laughs> just, ask, just ask me. Just ask me. You, you've got some very, you and your wife, you and your wife have done an incredible job with your, your children. Um, as we know, one's somewhat of an executive at, at Atlanta, maybe not an executive, but, but he, he's big time. Your other yeah. one's out west. So tell me about getting this business administration degree. The reason I ask is I think it's somebody like a Ryan Newman, you know, at Purdue. Tell me about you getting that degree. My dad, it was simple. My dad said I was going to college. He always wow. said it. And I, and Kenny, let me tell you something. I hated school. I remember the first day when I went to school in the first grade, I hated it. And when I graduated as a senior in high school, I still hated it. Yeah. You know, the, the social part of life, they had a lot of good buddies, right? I played yeah. some sports. I played a little basketball and did some things in high school. But, you know, by the 10th grade, my whole deal was racing. That you know, I started racing in my 10th grade. And, uh, but in the middle of all that, I, I, you know, my dad said, let's go to school. And I didn't really have, I didn't have good enough grades to get in freaking community college, right? My sister, my sister was, a, was in that system and she was, she ended up being a damn doctor. I mean, she had a doctor's in, and she was a, a smart family. Yeah, that, she, was, <laughs> she, was, she was. And uh, and in fact, she helped me get in this little community college. And honestly, this is no joke, Kenny. I was there two years. At the same time, I built my first asphalt car. I would go to those classes and I would leave. 
run back to the shop and I've worked on my race car. That's all. Yeah. I do. And and then working at the at the uh, the shop over here making money, right? And that's what I did. I made money working as a mechanic. I worked on a race car and went to school those two years. But I, I learned more. I put more effort and learned more in two years of community college than I ever did in twelve in the in the others deal. And I don't know why. It just interested me more. You know, I uh, I mean, we had a government class. We had a I know some mathematics classes and different things. And uh, I don't know. It was two years of doing. I'm glad I did it. You know, looking back, some of the stuff I did learn, I did use later on in life. You know, it was so, a salesmanship class. I, I remember some things in my brain, uh, simple things. And I'm going to give you an example because I want you to answer this. So I remember fifth or sixth grade having a tough time spelling the word vegetable. Right. I spelled it out, veg e table. Okay. Right. right. Child, childlike example. Right. What were some of the things that you learned in community college? Maybe just one uh, that 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 you remember. Takes four, one bits, thing? takes four bits to make a bite. Say that again. <laughs> it was a computer class, and it takes four bits to make a bite. And I, think, <laughs> I think it's five, four bites to make a gigabyte or some shit. But you remember know. it. Well, yeah, I just that's the only thing I remember about computer class because it wasn't Windows, it was computers. This remember, dude, this is 1976, but it had a computer, but it had a computer, and all they taught us about was how many bits it took to make a bite, right? Yeah, I didn't understand what the hell it was. I still don't <laughs> know it. <laughs> but the, the I remember government class, I don't know why I took a liking to the government class, and I remember this young professor, and he was teaching us because my family was not political, Kenny, right. My, yeah. I was not raised politically. I didn't know a Democrat from Republican. My, I was not raised racist. I didn't know a black from a white person, right? It just wasn't, it was non-existent the way I grew up. Anyhow, I remember this young dude sitting there on a chalkboard telling us, all right, I'm going to explain to you the difference between Republicans and Democrats. And he put up Republican and Democrat. And he put Democrat for the working man, for the underprivileged, for the poor people, for, for, for. And over here on the Republican, he put the rich corporations only look after the rich people on and on and on. Right. And I remember looking at all that and thinking, well, damn, I must be a Democrat. Right. <laughs> Cause you need everything. <laughs> I need everything. I need everything. I'm trying to build a race car. And I don't have a pot to piss in. Right. And you like, well, it just ought to shut down businesses. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but then the, 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 the how, how the, 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 I remember that particular class It's probably the most enjoyable because it taught me how, government works now the guy was a little the guy was the professor was a little skewed obviously he was a liberal you know yeah. and uh, whether you're liberal or conservative obviously he was and then yeah. i'll often think back to that right and, yeah. Uh, yeah okay so moving on we're changing the story right now so i apologize in advance about what <laughs> a lot of people right now <laughs> okay. a lot of people right now they don't know but when i first started racing with you Okay, so you need money. You want to build a race car, and uh, you're doing all this. Tell us about this damn cow story, dude. When I was my dad, my dad, I grew up had a little farm, and he had black Angus cattle, and uh, so I always had a little calf. As as when I was a little boy, I had a calf, and he would give me a calf out of one of the you know one that was born. And I would take it down. We had a little shed down there, and I'd keep it in there. And I would raise it and feed it and do that, then sell it. You know, it'd be a 4-H calf basically. 
And so the last one I ever had, I guess it was in the ninth grade or 10th grade. It's when I was 15 years old. I had raised this little calf and it, it was, a, it was a steer. And I forget what weight it was. It was a dandy. It was a dandy. It was a good cat. It was a good, good steer. Anyhow, I sold this dude for $575. Mm-hmm. Natural Bridge Speedway, as you've raced it many times, guys up here around here raced. An older fella had a 57 Chevrolet race car. He's going to quit. I used that money and went, I got that check, cashed it, and went and gave him $575 and picked up that 57 Chevrolet race car that was wrecked with a motor and a little trailer. And that's how the thing started. Brought that car back. Uh, entire little shop we had. We called it a shop. It was like four poles and a damn stick over the top of it, right? And uh, in fact, we tried to I tried to paint that thing that winter. I borrowed some kind of paint can from somebody. It was cold as hell. And I painted it. Come in the next day, all the paint had run off the side of it. You know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing, right? What year was yeah. it? 1973. Wow. Not, not, yeah. not terrible long ago. I mean, uh-uh. Uh-uh. Wow. so anyhow, we. Took that car to Dutcher Bridge, and my sixth race out, we won with that car, right? And uh, I had just gotten a speeding ticket, Kenny, and it was before I had my driver's license. And it wasn't really a learner's permit, but it was like something you had before your driver's license. Anyhow, I got a speeding ticket, and I went before the judge, and he says, and we talked about it, and of course, I was guilty, 41 and the 25, right here in friggin' Lexington. Damn goofball cop that nobody ever liked. Never, we finally run his ass out of town. But anyhow, he, uh, the judge looked at me and said, no, Rick, you, you, this is your, this is your deal. This is your fine. I forget what the fine was. He says, you have to pay for this fine. I said, okay. He said, no, I don't mean your daddy or any of your relatives. Mm. You, you have a way you're in school. Yes, sir. Are you working too? Yes, sir. He says, well, what, do you, what can you do to make this money? I said, well, I got a race car run down the racetrack. You know, I win. I can get the <laughs> Speed, <laughs> dude. He had these little reed glasses, like these things. He did this. <laughs> he looked at me like that, and I said, "Boy, you have you have, you have screwed up. You have screwed up here, right?" He did not like that at all. But anyhow, and right after that, I did win the race, and uh, you know, I mean, it was like forty bucks or something you know, to pay the fine. So that that, that, is, was, that was the beginnings of that of that cow car. Th- that you know, is. You know, I don't think that's a funny story. I think that's a very inspiring story yeah, because, you know, you're a rancher and you're raising and doing good. So, okay, I want to I want to say something that I remember you teaching me and I want you to comment on it. And okay. you might not remember this, but it, it helped me. It changed my life. And you did. You don't know this, but you saved my life. As Ooh. you know, I was. I was, no, I mean this. I'm very serious when I say this. So, as you know, I can't help it, but I was born hyper, the whole deal. So, I, I'm at Dover, and uh, you and I are sitting on pit wall, 1989, 1990, 91, somewhere in there. And you looked at me and you said, Do you plan on racing for a long time? And I said, Yes. And you said, Kenny, you got, you got to calm down. Now, you might not remember that, but I remember it like yesterday. And I was probably venting to you that my car wasn't doing this right. or that. When I look back on that time, I look, first of all, I look up to you because I think you're awesome. And you're, you're, you're a calm-natured athlete. 
where does that come from? And when you told me that, uh, as you're thinking right now in your head, where did you come? Where did you come from? I mean, how, how did you grow up calm? And, and I, you know what I mean? My dad built Natural Bridge Speedway in 67. Go Your dad that. built that racetrack? Yeah, sure did. He opened it in 67. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're, this is a big story here now. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Yeah. And I would witness, as a little boy during the week, the phone ringing off the wall at the house and people calling and just lambasted my dad, cussing and raising him. My dad didn't – he didn't hardly have a pot piss in either in those days, but he was able to make things work. Like I would listen to people just lambast him all week long, you know, competitors. And it still goes on today. Same deal. And I would go to the racetrack as a little boy. I'd watch guys down there. I mean, get in fights. I mean, not playing, you know, not Mickey Mouse. And I mean, fights. And I'd watch all this stuff. And then when I started racing, I had to deal with that. I had to deal with that same stuff myself. And in the early days, it's kind of like Schrader told me one time. He said he told a guy it was mad at him. Let's sit down and have a beer, drink, talk about it instead of fight. You know, it's yeah, right. Well, right. I, I, I came to that conclusion a lot earlier in life because some stuff I went through here locally early, you know, with 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 roughhousing or fighting and stuff that you learned, you know, what it really meant to get in a fight. You know, you got in a fight. It wasn't like you see now. It wasn't that. A fight then was a fight. I mean, you're yeah, going like to I mean, punching you in the you, face. I mean, you're going to somebody's going to end up standing, and some guy's not, right? And I witnessed that, and uh, a lot, and went through a little bit of it, and you know, over a period of time. And I'll tell you something else that happened, Kenny. In 1980, whatever, we were at Martinsville. I didn't have for the big double hitter, you know, the modified. Yeah. I didn't have radios, right? I had wiring harness, but I didn't have radios. I just couldn't afford them. I went up to Richie Evans. The great Richie Evans, the Dale Earnhardt, Richard Petty of Northeast Racing, greatest that ever yes. was, I guess, modified. I just went up to him and introduced myself. I said, Rich, you don't know me. I said, but I'll drive that 22 car with like in the, uh, uh, the Bush Series or whatever it was, late model. I guess he was Bush then. I don't have radios. Would you rent me your radios after the race Sunday? And we talked for a little bit. I think it took him back. Anyhow, we ended up making a deal, right? So the race, his race is run first. It was over. I go, I would grab the radios, his crew guys, radio out of his car. I even use his helmet because the earpiece is made in the helmet. I put his sweaty ass old helmet on and run my race. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. True story. True story. And the race is over. We run the race. I take my stuff back to Richie. I said, Richie, here, I appreciate it. I would, you know, I'm so thankful. How much do I owe you? And he looked at me and said, Rick, I don't know. I've never rented radios before. I don't know what it's worth. I said, well, I'm not sure either. I mean, I, you just tell me and I'll pay you. Because I finished that day, so I had money, right? And yeah. uh, and uh, he sat there, and he he didn't know what to do. He finally said, you going to be here for the next race in the spring or the fall, whatever it was? I said, yeah. He said, meet me at the Dutch Inn on Saturday night buy me a beer. Let's call it even, right? Yes. I'm like, it's like being, it's, to me, it felt like being anointed by the Pope, you know? That, yeah. You know? Oh, this is Richie Evans. Yeah. We go back for the next race, and I'm standing on pit road in the modifiers of practicing. And we're on the back stretch, and I'm just watching them because we ain't been on the track yet. And I watch Richie come out of turn two. I watch him go in turn three. I see his left front wheel kick out, right? He locks up. He goes right into the wall. Oh, no. I know where you're, go I know where you're going with this. I'm so sorry. And we lost Richie. Mm. After the one part of that story I forgot to tell you, when we were sitting there that morning before the race, I'm trying to joke with Richie a little bit. I say, Richie. 
I said, normally I'd bet on you to win this race day because you always win every time we come down here. I said, but my guy said they seen you being dragged out of the Dutch Inn this morning at 4.30 in the morning, right? Richie was a partier, right? Yeah. Richie loved to party. My guys, of course, evidently they were up too. They said, and uh, I said, I don't know if you get drug out of the, if you were drug out of the uh, Dutch Inn at 4.30 this morning, you would have mean from partying. I don't think I'll bet on you today. And he said something, and I gigged him a little more. I think it irritated me. Finally looked at me. He said, let me tell you something, boy. He said, you only hear a blink of an eye. He says, work hard, treat people right, and be happy. Right? I'm like, right. okay. When he hit that wall, Kenny, I was sitting there looking at it. And then when the rescue went there, and I remember Andy Hall come by me. He said, we lost Richie, right? And I remember thinking, work hard, treat people right, and be happy, right? Wow. And I, I, I kind of... I kind of accepted that mantra, you might say. And I it, it changed how I started looking at things and doing things, right? It mm-hmm. made me, I guess it made me realize, you know, it's a little bit bigger picture than this lap, this last lap we just ran and what the car is doing, which leads into your deal, right? You yeah. know, you get so wrapped up in that moment of what you're doing, you know, you're just like, I mean, you know the deal, Kenny, in, in NASCAR? Uh, kind of get up through or any any of this racing really down, but I mean, you're like kind of put out the hells of fire or the fire of hells with a squirt gun. You know what I mean? And sometimes you need divine intervention to help you. And it, Everybody it, that I've interviewed, every conversation I've had, even the greats, they right away go to the negative. They're not happy with their yeah, championships no, no, or their wins. Right? They they say they're scarred yeah, for life. I can believe that from the bad yeah. stuff. I can believe that because you're so, I, I try to tell people like in, in the eighties, when all I knew is I had to get the cup. I didn't know. I sat on the pole one time at Dover in a bush race, come out front of the car. Jerry punch comes by to do a interview, a pre-recorded interview for the TV. Right. Yeah. And uh, the next week, Jerry comes to me and says, Rick, we didn't use that interview last week. I said, why? What do you mean? He said, well, you got out front of the car. You had grease on your face. You were sweaty. I was trying to interview you. He said, well, you could tell the last thing you want to do is be talking to a camera. I said, Okay. He says, you want to be a cup driver, right? I says, more than anything, Jerry. Yeah. He says, people know you, people are watching you. We think you have the talent to do it. He said, but if you're going to do this, you got to fix that shit, right? So I did. I went to work then. I took a Carnegie course and I started becoming media friends. You did? Yeah. Yeah. I took a Carnegie. Did, did Jerry. I called it. What I did, I called did Jerry. I said, Ned, what I need to do. I, I, that's what I did. Because I didn't know. All I knew is my car had to win. If it won, somehow or another, that would get me there. It's like right now, the same deal right now if a guy's being a cup owner. You know, all he knows is if he wins, this thing will work out. If he don't, it's going to hell, right? Yeah. And, and anyhow, we did the Carnegie deal and uh, through Dead Jarrett, and then I started reaching out to the media guys, making, making, forming relationships with them, you know, doing all that stuff. And because I didn't know how to do this, I, I didn't, you know, from this area where I met, it's kind of secluded if you've been here. If you were here, it's secluded from the rest of the race of the world. You had the Hickory Bunch. You had the Richmond Bunch. You had the Caraway Bunch. You had the Birmingham Bunch. You had the Manassas Bunch. You had the Maryland Bunch, right? Clicks. Clicks. The clicks. I wasn't in one of those clicks. I didn't know what anybody else was doing. I never knew what anybody else was doing with their race cars. All those guys knew what they other guys were doing, right? So I was self-taught in everything about my chassis and everything I did about building my cars. I mean, I was right here in this shop where I'm sitting building my race cars, you know what I mean? Doing what I thought you needed to do. That's how I did it. 
It wasn't from help from anybody. And damn, I've done got off track. What the hell was no, that? No, 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 this, this is so good. It's unreal. No, you're, you're still on track. You, okay. I, I asked you, you know, I'm going to remind you where we're at. I, I'm the same as you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so you, you told me one day on pit road, yeah. you yeah. said, Kenny, yeah. you got to calm down. Yeah. And, and it, the story you're telling is unbelievable. You're yeah. saying that, you know, you didn't grow up in any clicks. Everybody had their own little deal. Right. And that you watching Richie Evans die right in front of you and him right. telling you work hard, treat people good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I just want to, I want to tell you what you just told me is, uh, is unbelievable. And yeah. one of the greatest stories that, that 10 minute segment right there is very heartfelt. And I want to say to you that you wanted to make it to NASCAR so bad that you went to the Dale Carnegie course so you could learn how to talk to the media right Right. with your head up represent your sponsors so that that leads me god we're already at an hour this is insane okay so you end up driving you go you take the dale carnegie course let's change paths now let's change can i stop one second one stop when you came to me with that right right that day you were you were and you'd brought this up to me before years ago then that made remember remember back to it yeah that's like that's how i'm still able to remember if you hadn't brought that up a few years ago i probably forgot about but the deal was kenny i was i would help anybody do anything but if 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 there's somebody i didn't really care for you know i didn't do i didn't do anything right uh you know i'd be cordial nice but you were one of those guys i mean i watched you when you came in Oh hell, here's here's Rusty Wallace's brother, right? Hell, he'll be like the rest of these guys they had to fight with, right? Yeah. And it became apparent very soon that Rusty was making Kenny Wallace earn this on his own. You know what I mean? You I can did everything myself with the David. Name, the name can help you get there a little bit, yeah. but when you're there, you better do your own deal, man. Or your ass gonna get kicked out. And I watched you, and I was around you, and I was around Raquel, Kim, and uh, I, I, you know, you're one of those guys that and i'm better at this than i used to be i used to be pretty good at but i'm better now i could i could i feel like i'm a good person good at judging people's heart i i go off of people's heart right i don't give a damn what you say what you do i want to see what your inner being is right and yeah. you you always come across me as one of those guys that's just good hearted son of a bitch right and i see so many guys in your position i was in that position i know exactly what you were feeling and what you were going through and, but I, I wanted you to succeed, right? And in that moment when you were where you were at and you're so encapsulated in that moment that you couldn't, you know, release it enough to be able to make rational decisions. And that screws you up in racing, man. If you don't, if you get tired, I've seen guys ruin, careers ruin. I can say names and you know them too, of, of getting in that mindset that it completely screws them up and they can't think about the bigger picture because all they're worried about is the last two races and the car's doing this and I can't fix it. Right. Well, you got to get out of that a little bit. You know what I mean? And that's where you were at that point. And I was just trying to, you know, just make you see a light. You know, it's, it's different. And you're not the only person that ever said that to something like that, do you? But maybe, but anyhow, that's the reason I did that. So well, I love you. I love you. And I haven't told anybody I love him yet on, on the 32 episodes that we've done. And, you, you saved my life that day, and good, I, and I good, appreciate good, you so much. Good, so, good. all right, if you're gonna make me cry, so I gotta keep going here. So, <laughs> right. 
okay, you go to Dale Carnegie, you want to make it to the big time, you do. You you end up being sponsored by the largest tobacco company, I think, uh, in America, Skoll. Right. Uh, just a capsule of your time at Skoll. I mean, was it Leo Richard Jackson? Who was your owner? You know, tell me about that moment. You know, you just told us you were with A.J. Foyt, the greatest race car driver of all. You were with Don Perdome, the greatest drag racer. Tell me about that, those skull times. Dude, when that happened, again, it was like Indy to be. It was magical. This is something you work for your whole life. Man, yeah. I just signed a deal at Dover, Delaware for the next year with Skull, Richard Jackson, and Johnny Hayes for a wow. cup deal, right? Hey. I owed, owed $50,000. I was in debt. My sponsor had got up in the middle of the night and left. Yeah, this is 1990. I go to Bristol, $52 to my name. We win Bristol, right? I got $50,000 in debt. My creditors in the racing, it was BSR, Butch Stevens, yeah. you know, Mike Laughlin, Terry Bodenhammer, uh, for Tex Powell, right? These I guys. know all these people. I owe all these guys. My sponsor is supposed to be taken care of. They didn't do it. I said, I called each one of them up. I said, listen, my sponsor left in the middle of the night. He left his company, the whole deal. You know the guy, Glenn Doyle, Raven Boats. Raven. But anyhow, you know, I said, I can sell all my shit now and pay you. Or if you wait the end of the year, I think I'm going to get a cup ride next year. I'm working hard. I'm talking to people. If I get that, I can pay you. If the end of the year comes and I can't pay you, I don't have a cup deal, I'll sell the shit and pay you. Every one of them without a fault said, Rick, run the rear year out. Don't worry about us. You pay us when you can. Right. So I've always cherished that. So anyhow, I got this gold deal and we signed it that fall. The next January, before we even go racing, I go down to Charlotte and I hop on US Tobacco, which is go, I hop on their G4. Right. <laughs> All right, here sits Johnny Hayes, right? And here sits Lou Bannell, the CEO of the company. And I've never met this dude before, but he's, you know, he'd fire you, fire you, whatever. He's the one that had to prove what Johnny Hayes recommended, right? I look around, there sits Harry, which is a new Harry. There sits Snake Perdome. Here sits AJ Foyt. And right across from me, I'm sitting in this seat, and the seat turned to me is Lou Bannell. And right beside him sits this tall guy. I didn't know who he was. His name is Tony George. Right, the owner of the Indianapolis. We were flying along, and Harry wants me to sit there. I mean, Johnny wants me to sit there across from Lou to have a conversation with Lou. Lou get to know me, right? And I don't know why the hell Tony George is stuck in the middle of this. But anyhow, Harry looks at me one time. We're flying over the Caribbean. We're headed to we're headed Dominican Republic, Casa de Capo, big resort, right? Harry looks at me. He's a wreck. Let me tell you something more. That's what's that. This is the ultimate right here. It don't get no better than this. <laughs> well, okay, Harry, whatever you say. You know? So we go down there. We spend like six or seven days at this resort, just us playing golf and getting – it was decadent. It was decadent, man. They would feed us and this whole deal. And AJ was on crutches. He just – you know, hadn't been long out of that bad wreck he had at Elkhart. You know, we broke all his feet. You know, he was on crutches. They were having a, they were having a coup going on in Haiti and – we land this G4 and, you know, you go through chicken wire at this airport to get to where you're going. And everybody's got guns and little mulatto guys with little short guys, with machine guns, and blaze, and it's all guarded. And AJ's worried to death. We're going to get taken over. He said, people in Haiti, 200 miles away, they're having a coup. They've got yeah. a $28 million jet over here. They find that out. They go steal us. Now, how in the hell are we going to get home? We're going to be, we're going to die here. <laughs> but anyhow, that was my first deal to go. And from there, to the end, it was just like that magical, Kitty. Mr. Bannell, 
took that company from a $50 million gross company to a million, a billion five, which ain't large for a Fortune 500 company in gross, but he was always in top five in, 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 in earnings, right? Right. Great guy. All he was about marketing, racing and Skull Brother, you know, rodeo and Skull. And Mr. Battle told me one time, he said, Rick, he says, if you and Harry went on Sundays, he said, that's nothing but icing on a cake for us. We've already done that weekend what we wanted to do. He says, the only thing I ever, ever ask of my drivers, do not embarrass me. Mm. Just do not embarrass me. Yeah. Wow. That's the only thing that that group ever ask of me more than what I was doing. Don't embarrass us. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah, just cool, cool deal. Cool deal. Well, Rick, I got to tell you, uh, there's more to say, but we've already been an hour. I'm going to have to have you back on Kenny Conversation. Uh, I want to thank you so much from the bottom Dude, of my we got to do that. What do you, I told you to allow more time for this. You can't, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know what? It is crazy how fast it goes, it right? Is. Well, I mean, our, our lives, Kenny, and you know this, man, our lives in racing, you can't make up this shit. No, you cannot, I mean, like in the eighties, dude, I tell people all the time, I was, my, my intent was being cup. I put it before God. I put it before my family. I put it before my finances. Right. Cause all yes. I knew is I had to have my race car at the track at eight o'clock in the morning and I had to be able to win. Right. That, that now after I got the cup, I made amends for all three of those with God, my family and my finances. I did that, but that's, that's always, and you're just so consumed with that. And we're all you, everybody, every Sweeney Dick got through that deal in those days. You know, we all <laughs> we all come through different ways, but it was still the same emotions, the same fortitude, the same grit, you know, the same attitudes. We were, we're all, and we all fought the same thing, you know, no matter how we did it. Jeff Burton was on Kenny Conversation, and he said exactly what you just said. He says, "My wife, my children." knew that racing came first. And right. I was telling my family about that last night. And, right. uh, you know, they all just looked at me because uh, my daughter, Brooke, uh, I right. told Jeff this, my daughter, Brooke, does not like NASCAR today. Right. And right. I said, I said, Brookie, why don't you like NASCAR? And she's 36 years old. She goes, Dad, I saw what it did to you. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, oh, man. Well, we, we came out, we came out, and, and you've done a beautiful job with your family. And, and Rick, who so so of you, by the way? <laughs> thank you. Yes. Thank you. Um, okay, this is it, my friend. Um, you know, I want to let all the fans know that they can listen to you, Rick, in podcast form. We are in podcast form. Sweet. They can, they can listen to you on the way to work on iTunes or Spotify, and they can turn around and listen to you. All the way back to home. That's but it. thank That's you. It. Thank you for being on Kenny Conversation. It was wonderful. We're going to do it again because I have more. I have more. And uh, thank you so much, Rick. Thank you, Kenny. Proud of you, man. Let me tell you something. I'm proud of you. I truly am. I'm proud of you. That's same same Case here. Closed. Case closed. <laughs> can I get some free tickets from your son for the when the car? Hey, if you ever want to go to the Braves game. You know what I mean? Ricky can fix you up. He's swinging a pretty big stick down there now. You know? If you're ever out in Vail, Colorado and get hurt on the ski slopes, right? Right. Katie, my daughter, can fix you up with the best orthopedic surgeons in the world. And, uh, I love you'd it. Be surprised. You'd be surprised at the people that come through that place. Of course, they got those HIPAA regulations. She can't tell us a whole lot, but it's it's pretty phenomenal. 
Or if you're ever here in, in here at home, it needs to be some taught some lessons. My other daughter Sarah can teach you some lessons too. So I love it. <laughs> okay, right, everybody. Right, Until the next hold on, hold on. <coughs> never done this before in the history of okay. the Kenny conversation. We yeah. have never done this. Your biggest fan is right here. Cool. Kim, we are live. Oh, hey Raquel. Hey. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You look good, girl. First time I saw you walking up with Kenny, I says, My God, Raquel Wilkes got a sister. I don't know if she had a sister. All right, well, let's do it just like this. All right, everybody. Until until the next Kenny conversation. We'll see you all later. Bye-bye. Thank you.